The Word of God is open to Deuteronomy chapter number 30 this morning. We're continuing and about to finish uh, a series in this important Old Testament book that uh, we've been studying for about three quarters of the entire year uh, this year. It's a long book, and we haven't looked at every single chapter, every single line in the book. There's a lot we could have preached, but what we're trying to do is get the main theme. And today we come to what I think is the most important chapter in the book of Deuteronomy. If I had to tell you uh, that you only need to read one chapter in Deuteronomy, there's no question it would be Deuteronomy chapter 30. And I've also come to believe that not only is it the most important chapter in the book of Deuteronomy, it's one of the most important chapters in the entire uh, word of the living God. Deuteronomy, of course, is a book about the law where Moses is giving what we typically refer to as his farewell address. Really, Moses' farewell address, this aging Moses who knows he doesn't have long to live, is really three farewell addresses packed together in one as recorded in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is three sermons of Moses, one past, one present, one focusing on the future. And the last one is the shortest one, chapters 29 and 30. And it's really Moses, out of the farewell address of Moses, it's really the farewell, farewell address of Moses, the summary message, really, of the entire book. And that's why I think it's the most important chapter, because in chapter 30, you've basically got all of the message of Deuteronomy wrapped up uh, in a single unit of Scripture. Nothing particularly new in Deuteronomy chapter 30. Moses has dealt with everything before in other contexts, but as with good sermons, as with good speeches, uh, what is the most important part, I think, is the conclusion, because that's what you leave with people, right? And so the most important thing any speaker says is the first thing out of his mouth, and even more important, the last thing out of his mouth, because that's what people tend to remember. You remember these lines, don't you? Ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. That's, of course, from John F. Kennedy's inaugural address, and guess where it came in the speech? Right there at the very end. Or Winston Churchill in 1940 with the famous line, if this uh, island of ours lasts for a thousand years, may it be said, this was their finest hour. Well, that came from the last line of that important speech to Parliament. Or Abraham Lincoln in the Gettysburg Address, that government of the people by the people and for the people should not perish from the earth. That's the very last line of the most familiar speech that Lincoln ever gave. Or you'll remember this one, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, we are free at last. That, of course, is from Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream sermon on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. And you guessed it, where was it in the speech? It was the very last thing that the man said. You get the point, say amen. Well, as far as his message is concerned, uh, the last half of Deuteronomy chapter 30 is the last thing that Moses says to the people. And so as he comes to this summary message, he boils the entire message of the book of Deuteronomy down to two critical concepts, an accessible word and an inescapable choice. Let's take a look at our text this morning, beginning 
uh, with verse 11. Those of you that are able, I'll invite you to stand as we honor the reading of God's wonderful word today. Deuteronomy 30 and verse 11. If you're ready to read, would you say amen? For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you're going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, Choose life, that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him, for he is your life and the length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give to them. Father, this morning, thank you for the powerful word of God. It leads us indeed to a choice that Israel had to make then and that all people have to make today concerning their relationship with God. May the word of God be preached clearly and convincingly that it may be heard, accepted, and transforming in the lives of people. For the glory of God we pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. Thank you, church family. Please be seated. I think it's important uh, to notice here that Moses begins this summary conclusion of this series of messages in Deuteronomy with an encouraging word about the word, specifically the word of the Lord, what he calls right out of the gate, the commandment. It's interesting that Moses uses the word commandment in the singular there as he begins this message for this commandment that I command you today, when really what he's been doing all throughout Deuteronomy is unpacking a bunch of commandments uh, to the people of Israel. But he chooses to summarize them in the singular uh, when it's obvious that there are many commandments of God that are unpacked, beginning with the first 10 that Moses goes over in Deuteronomy chapter 5 of the most important of those. We call them the Ten Commandments. But Moses is using the singular here in a sense that would include all the commandments of God, what we call the law. So when Moses says, this commandment that I give you today, you could substitute the word law there. This law of God uh, that I'm giving to you today. Three verses later, 
He calls it something different. What does he call it? The Word. The Word. So having taken this entire book called Deuteronomy, lengthy as it is, to recapitulate, restate, reemphasize what's most important in the life of this people, this second generation preparing to enter the promised land that God was giving to them. Moses now emphasizes three very important things about the word of God that I think bears greatly on the people of God even to this day now, 3,500 years later. I'm gonna give you these three things because I think they're very important. First, he tells them that God's word's not so confusing that we can't understand it. God's word's not so confusing that we cannot understand it. Throughout the years, as you could imagine, uh, I've heard people say to me, in fact, you may have been one of them, you know, I just have such a hard time reading the Bible. You ever said that? I've just had a, a, a hard time reading and it's just so difficult to understand. And then result of that a lot of times, that fatalism, that there's no way that I can interact with the Bible, that I can understand the Bible, the Bible can speak to me, is it ends up getting put on a shelf, stuck in a drawer somewhere, never to be looked at again. Can I just say this morning, y'all listening, say amen. Such a cop-out. That's all in the world that is, is a cop-out. What that statement is, is not only you do not have confidence in yourself to understand it, you don't have confidence in God to help you understand it. Now, it's true for the Word of God to be life-changing to you. You do need some help from the Holy Spirit. The Bible's very clear about that. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So you do need some help from the Holy Spirit to receive the Word of God into your life. No question about that. But having said that, people have been reading the Bible for literature uh, or as literature for centuries. I know some lost people know the Bible better than some Christian people. Amen. And that's a sad tragedy. The truth is the Bible is a supernatural book that's capable of speaking to people Right, way they, right where they are, especially the people of God, children of God. Moses tells the people very plainly here in verse number 11, this commandment, this law, this word of God that I command you today is not too, what? Say it out loud. Not too hard for you. Did y'all see that? Say amen. It's not too hard for you. Now, that doesn't mean necessarily that the word itself or Obeying the word of God completely is an easy thing to do. Uh, sometimes it's not very easy. It doesn't mean that the word of God doesn't have some complicated parts or some difficult things for our mind to grasp. We've dealt with some of those difficult parts of God's word in this very series, haven't we? So there are some difficult things in the word of God. There are some parts of God's word that practically sing to you right off the page. And then there are other parts where you got to do some work. You got to do a little bit of digging. What Leon Morris one time said about the Gospel of John in particular is true for the Bible in general. He described it as a pool in which an elephant can sink and a little child can swim. I love that description of the Gospel of John, and you can apply that to the Bible because it's the same way. It's deep, but it's navigatable. It's challenging, but it's not overwhelming. It would take a lifetime of lifetimes 
to properly grasp the totality of the Word of God. And yet, in a simple cursory reading, you can come to a proper understanding of who God is, who you are, who you're not, where you came from, what salvation is, how you can find it, and how to live forever according to the plan of God. And that's especially true if you're saved and if you possess the Holy Spirit. Isn't that right? Jesus told his disciples that he was not long for the world. John 14, 15, 16. I'm getting ready to leave you, but I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And he begins to teach them about the Holy Spirit the third person of the Godhead that these disciples didn't have a clue about. And he's teaching them there that one of the functions of the Holy Spirit would be to teach you all things. And then he goes on later to say the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the encourager, when he comes, he will guide you into all the what? I mean, we got a helper that God gives us. Not only do we have a book, a written word of God, but we have a living helper who guides us and teaches us the truth of the gospel. Parts of the Bible might, see, this is important. Parts of the Bible might be complicated, but the overall message of the Bible is not really complicated at all. In fact, the overall message of the Bible is really very simple. God created the universe. God created the world. God created all humanity. Uh, sin has corrupted humanity. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Christ is God in the flesh. He died for our sins on the cross. He was buried. He was raised on the third day. Whosoever believes in him can be delivered from their sins, be given the gift of forgiveness and everlasting life. And Christ is one day coming again to take everything that's been broken by sin and put it all back together again so that God may be forever and ever and ever glorified. That's the message of the Bible right there in a nutshell. And I'm here to tell you this morning, you can understand that. That's far from complete, but that's basically the message of the Bible. And I'm telling you, you know what? You can grasp it. You can know it. You can understand it. God's word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And Moses knows it. This word is not too hard for you. Say that with me together. This word is not too hard for you. But second, Moses reminds us here that God's word is not so distant that we cannot grasp it. It's not so difficult that we cannot understand it, neither is it so distant that we cannot grasp it, that we cannot find it, that we cannot possess it. He says in verse 11, <clears throat> neither is the word far off. It is not in heaven that you should say who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. You know what Moses is saying there? He's saying, you know what? It, it's not like you have to pack your bags in a knapsack or in a duffel bag and go on some kind of pilgrimage high up to the Himalayas to find some holy man of God. It's not like you have to pack a bag and go deep into the redwood forest like the transcendentalists, like 
Thoreau did and the woods of Massachusetts just kind of find life and the meaning of life. Moses saying, you don't have to do that. Seek the truth, yes, but you know what? When you seek God and when you seek the truth with all your heart, you don't have to go hunting for the word. God will bring the word to you. He'll bring it to you. Moses says, the word is very near you, very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. Now, Moses could say that to the people, not because God just dropped the word into their lap or somehow supernaturally for you Star Trek fans, mind melded with them. It's not like God or Moses just took a thumb drive and plugged it into the people of God and did what we call a file dump, you know, right into there. No, Moses could say that. The word of God is very near you. Why? Because he'd been very careful as a man of God, a prophet of God, a preacher of the word, to give them the word of God for 40 years. He'd been preaching. This is nothing new. He'd been preaching this beginning with the first generation for 40 years, communicating it to them and very carefully communicating it to them in this second generation. Because he's got a heart that's burdened for them. He would want to see them mess up like their ancestors did. So Moses did everything he could to make sure that the word had a secure place in the hearts and minds of the people. So none of them could ever get to heaven one day and say, you know what? We wanted to know the word. We just never could find it. That's another cop out that you cannot find it. Man, that's especially true for the people of God today. Here's the thing, it's even more true today than it was in the age of Moses. Peter says that, 2 Peter 1 and verse 19. We have the prophetic word, say this out loud with me. We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place. We have the word of God, the King James Bible says, made more sure. Why? Because we've got the written scriptures in front of them. Right here, trustworthy and sure and write it down, accessible. God's word is more than ever before in the 21st century, an accessible word. Talk about the word being very near, man. We got copies of the Bible everywhere. You don't have a Bible here this morning. We probably got 480 back there in the next step center. People leave on pews. Amen. That's the truth. I was curious the other day. I've been under the weather for about 18 years here recently. And I just, I've got, I had to quit talking. I just had, I've had laryngitis. I've had this upper respiratory stuff. So I was home for like three straight days in the middle of the week. <clears throat> so I was preparing this message from my home study. And as I was getting to this point, I thought, I wonder how many Bibles I've got here in this one room. My home study. I started counting Bibles. You know how many copies of the Bible I kept just in my home study? 22 different copies of the Bible. And that doesn't count Judy's Bibles. And I didn't even go try to find them because she didn't want me in her stuff. <laughs> but I, I have 22 Bibles printed, and that doesn't count the ones on my phone. And I'm told there's something like over 300 on my phone on the two or three app, Bible apps that I've got. 
And downstairs in my office here, I've got about 30 copies of the Word of God that I've collected over the years, printed copies. So that's somewhere between, just Jim Locke's Bibles, somewhere between 50 and 60 printed copies of the Bible. I got all kind of colors, all kind of sizes, all kind of shapes, all kind of translations. I got big Bibles, honking Bibles, study Bibles, small Bibles, pocket Bibles, thin line Bibles. I'm telling y'all, the Word is near. The Word is near. But not only is the Word near in written form, let me let you in on something that may be even more important. There's also not only the written Word, there is the living Word of God. His name is Jesus Christ. And he's a presence that's even more near because you got him inside of you if you know him by faith. Paul told the elders of Athens there in Acts 17 in his Areopagus sermon, God is actually not far from each one of us. Man, that may be the most understated thing the man ever said. And the reason that he's not far from each one of us is he's got a plan to redeem a lost world. And God's plan to redeem a lost world involved not us trying to climb a ladder to him, but him coming to us, God coming near to a lost world. That's obviously made clear in the Christmas narratives of the Bible. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means what? Say it out loud. God with us. Then you turn the page over to the Gospel of John, and that's exactly what happened. And the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we beheld his glory. And that same Savior who came near, that God with us who came near 2,000 years ago, was the same Jesus, the same Savior, who promised 33. 30 some years later before he ascended into heaven and lo, I will be what? With you always. Even to the end of the age. I told Judy I, I wasn't going to shout in today's message. I don't raise my voice again. I'm starting to shout because that's very exciting to know that God loves us that much. God's word is not so distant that we cannot grasp it. The word is near it's near in written form through the Bible. It's near through the presence of the living Christ himself. But then Moses emphasizes something practical about God's word that I think is really important. Namely, that God's word is not so difficult that we cannot obey it. God's word is not so challenging <clears throat> that we can't understand it. It's not so distant that we cannot find it. It's not so difficult that we cannot obey it. In other words, the demands of God's word are not so burdensome that we cannot follow them. Uh, not unless you try to keep them in the flesh. You'll never be able to keep the commandments of God or the word of God in the flesh by your own power. But if we walk by the spirit, if we abide in Christ, walk by the spirit of God, let the spirit be our guide, let the spirit be our teacher, Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Yes, we can obey the word of God. Did Jesus not say, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light? Now, again, that doesn't mean there's not some difficult 
demands concerning following Christ. Jesus says, my yoke is easy. What he's talking about is a, it's not burdensome. And that affirms what Moses says here about the people keeping God's word. Verse 14 of Deuteronomy 30. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. I can do it. Say that together with me. I can do it. Say it again. I can do it. You can keep the word of God. This brings Moses to the climax of his message. The climactic passage of all of the book of Deuteronomy in terms of what Moses is teaching. And you know what? <clears throat> if Moses were here preaching that message here today, what uh, we would call what he says here in verse 19, we would call this the invitation or the appeal as it's sometimes called. Look at verse 19. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today. In other words, my hands are clean before God. I've obeyed what God's will for my life is. I've unpacked his eternal word to you as God has given it to me. I call heaven and earth as my witnesses, which is a whole lot bigger than any human being. I call heaven and earth. Namely, he says, I'm calling God as my witness because God is the creator of heaven and earth. I call all of the heavens and the earth, including the God of the heavens and the earth, as my witness before you today that I have set before you life and death. Two alternatives. I have set before you the blessing and the curse. Two alternatives. Therefore, here's the invitation, here's the appeal. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. That's the highest point of the book of Deuteronomy right there. All of those words in the first 29 and a half chapters. And it all comes down to that appeal right there in Deuteronomy 30, 19. Particularly powerful statement because Moses reduces everything. He's had a lot to say, right? One of my favorite passages and one of my favorite messages in this series was one we did on Baptism Sunday. What does the Lord require of you? And uh, there are four things. Fear God, love God, serve God, obey God. Y'all remember us talking about that? Say amen. Say amen anyway. Amen. Fear God, love God, serve God, obey God. That's basically the appeal of Moses. And Moses now gets to this point, and he takes all that he said about those four things, and he boils it down to this urgent choice that everybody has to make between life and death, between the blessing of God and the curse of sin. That's a gospel appeal is what it is. We've entitled this series, The Gospel According to Moses, because what that is is a gospel appeal. I've set the table, Moses said, but I can't decide for you. It's what every preacher, every gospel preacher does every Sunday, just sets the table but I can't make a decision for anybody but me. And Moses is saying that. I've set the table before you, but you have to choose. And it is, brothers and sisters, an inescapable choice. You say, well, I'm just going to decide to put it off till That's a choice. That's a choice. Even by trying to avoid the choice, you make a choice. To avoid the choice is to choose death. It's to choose the curse. The default of not choosing 
is always the negative of the two. The default is death. So you need to choose wisely. A lot of people in the room have. Maybe for some, it's been this year. We baptized about 100 people this year. My prayers would be 1,000. A lot of people had their lives changed over this past. For some of you, it may have been the last five years. Some of you may have been walking with the Lord for the last 40 plus years. You made that choice a long time ago. It's a part <clears throat> of your testimony. But some of you haven't. And the words of Moses echo and ring throughout this very modern building even today. Choose life. Choose wisely. Reminds me of that scene in Indiana Jones in The Last Crusade. Great movie. I love the Indiana Jones movies. That's the one about the Holy Grail. And they get to the end of the movie and they're trying to pick the Holy Grail from a table that has all these different cups and chalices on it. Y'all, have y'all seen that? Uh, and then there's the medieval knight, the knight templar who's there and he looks like he's about 180 years old. He's got the chain mail on, on and got the helmet on and everything and the great English beard and, and the old medieval knight looks at them and he says, you must choose wisely. There's an evil tycoon there with his evil sidekick and the evil tycoon goes first and he looks at his beautiful sidekick and says, you choose. And of course, she goes to the most magnificent looking one there, this beautiful, tall, golden chalice that's decorated with fine gemstones all the way around it. And she picks that one and hands it to him and he looks at it and, oh yes, this has got to be the one. And he takes it and he goes over to the fountain and he dips it in the holy water and begins to drink lustily from the chalice, thinking that that holy water in the proper cup is going to bring him the gift of eternal life. And within seconds, I mean, you know what happens. I mean, it's a Spielberg movie. He starts to age, you know, rapidly by the few seconds that we're watching until his face melts off for the glory of God. And then his, his skin falls off of his body and his body then explodes into this fine misty powder that just, you know, settles to the ground. And then the camera pans to Indiana Jones and he has to choose and he goes over and he begins to scour the table. Everything on the table is gold and silver bejeweled except for one cup that's just a simple, small cup made by a potter. And he looks at it and he picks it up and he said, that's the cup of a carpenter. And he takes it over dips it in the water, drinks, and he does not die. He lives. And the knight says, you chose wisely. Moses is encouraging the people of God at this moment of appeal to make the wise choice. Choose God's way over the way of the world. Choose the gospel, <clears throat> the good news, over the headlines, which is always bad news. Therefore, choose life. 
that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him, for he is your life. Can you say that about your relationship with God? I didn't ask you if you could say God is a part of my life. Are y'all still with me? Say amen. I'm gonna make a radical statement here. I don't think God has any desire to be a part of your life. I think he wants to be your life. That's what it said right there. For the Lord is your life. Christian, can you make that statement? Or have you found there's an idol that slipped alongside the Lord? You're trying to divide your time between serving God and serving Baal. I mean, I think about Elijah on Carmel. How long will you waver and navigate between two opinions? If God be God, serve God. If Baal be God, serve Baal. But for heaven's sake and for God's sake and for the sake of your life and your family, get off the blessed fence. I think about Joshua who will follow Moses. He's young now. You get to the end of the book of Joshua and then he's old and he's given a farewell address. And Joshua looks at the people and says the same thing that his mentor said all those years before. Choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Whether the God of your fathers or the gods of this land, you have to make the choice. I can tell you that me and my family have already made the choice. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And never forget, it was that way with Jesus, who in his earliest teaching said, there is an inescapable choice, a broad way that leads to death and destruction and a narrow way that leads to life. And you have to decide whether you take the highway of life on the broad road or on the narrow road, here's the choice, choose wisely. And the appeal that Jesus makes is crystal clear. Enter by the narrow gate. And that's our appeal today. That narrow gate that leads to life is none other than Christ himself. You are aware, aren't you, that choosing life means choosing Jesus? That's the choice. The choice today, according to the gospel, is will you choose Christ? Because there is no life apart from Christ. The Lord is your life. And let me ask you a question. Is Jesus Christ the Lord? Absolutely. Jesus said, I myself and I alone am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes unto the Father except through me. My sheep know me, and I know them, and I give unto them, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. John makes it more clear, 1 John 5, God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son, Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. I don't know how there's any way to misunderstand that statement from the Bible. 
Do you know Jesus as Savior and Lord? That's what it comes down to. Is Christ alive within your life because of faith, because of what you've believed about him, his person, who he is, his work, what he's done, his death, burial, and resurrection? That's the heart of the gospel. God's word is not so confusing we can't understand it. God's word's not so distant we can't grasp it. God's word is not so difficult we can't obey it. Thank God the word is near and thank God even more the word is clear. Choose life that you might live and never forget choosing life means choosing Jesus. This is God's word and all God's people said amen and amen.